0: So welcome to the Love Fly Podcast. It's Paul Tizard here, Fear of Flying Coach, and today's special guest is Afril, who's joining us all the way from Australia, nine hours ahead. I don't know what it is. I can't get my head. It just completely boggled my mind. I wasn't sure if it was the right day, the right week, but you're massive welcome. Thank you ever so much.
1: Oh no! Thank you for having me, Paul. I'm really excited to be on this podcast. Thanks.
0: No, well, I've we wanted to get on for a while because I've been watching your stories unfold in the Facebook group, and I just thought this looks like a great guest. You know, so thank you so much. So tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: Okay, well, I'm Australian, so I live in the far north um, of Queensland in Australia. I'm in my early 40s. I'm a mum to four children um, and three of them are teenagers. So that keeps me very busy. Yeah, but um, My littlest fella is in um, primary school. So I'm also a published author, um, a runner, massive reader, and I love listening to this podcast as well. So oh. I'm a big fan of this podcast. And I say that because I've just recently returned to international travels for the first time in 17 years. So that's a really exciting facet of life that's opened up is being able to travel again or feel like I can uh, travel mm. again so I always could travel but feeling like i the whole world is there open to me again
0: oh nice so we'll get into that tell us a bit about your published work because uh, I did see I saw that you were doing a book tour and I thought oh that's interesting mm. so t- so do an unashamed plug for what you've written
1: Oh, uh, thank you. So I am um, published in Australia and also internationally. I have written two books. The first one was Those Hamilton Sisters and the second is The Girls of Lake Evelyn. And my third book has just gone to my publisher under deadline last week. So um, my first two books were published in 2021 and 2022. So newly published author, not still a debut author, but they've come out pretty quickly Mm. one after another. Um, And it's been very exciting seeing them roll out, you know, in different territories across the world. So yeah, it's been a lifelong dream. I wanted to be an author since I was five years old. So that was something that I'd been I always wanted to be a mom, I always wanted to be an author. So to be here and to be living it, you know, in the midst of a pandemic as it as, as it unfolded, mm. was really exciting.
0: So I'm really, I'm just being nosy now because I've nothing to do with fear of life but just So if it's something you've always wanted to do since you're five, what what was the kind of turning point where you thought I'm just going to do it now?
1: Uh, I had been working towards my first book I wrote over about 10 years. Um, I'd been writing that while as a stay-at-home mom. So I was work. I was always writing. I wrote my first novel at 19, but it's unpublishable. <laughs> um, and I'd always been writing things. And then I started my novel when I had three children under five at home. So I was at home, you know, going crazy. <laughs> and I thought, well, yeah, I'll put yeah. my imagination. Good, not evil. Um, and so I started writing this novel, which took me about 10 years to write. Um, and then it's obviously a couple of years to get into the publishing industry, if you're that mm. lucky, which I've been incredibly lucky.
0: Mm. Oh, amazing. Well, there you go. So uh, so your published, your your author name is just so that make sure that people kind of they're now listening, go, oh, i read that. Because people who are flying, that's uh, that's, who oh, yeah, that's listening, right. might actually want something Ooh, yeah, to read <laughs> now.
1: Yeah, we love an airport bookshop. So I'm lucky to have my book in airport bookshops, which is very exciting. So now the reward to get through a flight is to find my book there, <laughs> the bookshop. Yeah. Um, so my handles on social media are Avril Kenny author. And um, yeah, my name is Avril Kenny. So um, I'm in the group in a personal, personal capacity though. I joined that um, just through my personal Facebook account.
0: Nice. Okay. Well, thanks for that. So tell us your fear of flying journey story.
1: Yeah. So I, um, I mean, I wasn't scared of flying as a child. Um, my first flight was actually when I was probably around about eight years old and we left mm. my home down the bottom of Australia, um, left my grandparents and all our family to come up to final Queensland. So my first associations with flight were like, it's life changing. You leave one world to go to another um, and then ever after, it was always, we'd fly down to see my grandparents and it would be, you know, a, just such a big deal. And we'd get dressed up, we'd wear our best clothing and we, would you know, the excitement of having the music in the armrest and get the little book with all the activities for kids yeah, to yeah. do. Exciting. It was such a thrilling thing. My favorite part was takeoff. I loved the zooming back in the seat. And yeah, I, I adored flying. I really did. It was the most exciting thing. And the whole time we'd be visiting our grandparents or family, I'd be just so excited to get back on the plane again. Wish takeoff would go forever. I didn't want takeoff to be just the short part. Um, did so you realise that people fly- be
0: be listening to that? now going, "What a weirdo!" Uh, a lot of people want it over and doubles, know, don't they? <laughs> I love it too. Yeah, carry on. I Sorry.
1: know. I know. Yeah, but I have very strong memories of how, you know, exuberant Mm -hmm. it was, how much I loved it and that it was the highlight of a holiday. Um, And so and that was right through my childhood and my teenage years. And then I went off to university. So I was in my early 20s, had left home, was living uh, 2,000 kilometres away from my parents um, and all my family and then woke up one morning ready to go to uni for the day, Turn on the TV, and the world has ended. Um, it was September 11 or September yeah. 12 in Australia,
0: yeah. and yeah. the world
1: has ended. Um, mm. And, you know, that from that moment on, it was that sense of being you know, it's cataclysmic. My mm-hmm. parents aren't here. I'm on my own. And then to get back to them, I either had to drive for two days straight or we have to fly. And I'd been flying to and from uni all the time without a problem. And it was just from that moment on, it was this sense that, wow, you know, flying was inherently dangerous rather than exciting. So I always feel that excitement and fear are kind of the same thing in a way. Mm-hmm. You know, you, when you feel excitement, it often feels like fear. And so it was almost like that great excitement I had for flying just flipped to fear. And all of a sudden it was like this terrifying thing. Um and so from so I was in my early 20s and from that time on I just dreaded, feared, you know, I would do anything I could to get out of flying. I would drive for two days straight um, home to my parents. I We took a train once home from uni, um, which is like a massive trek on a train. I would do anything to get out of it. I would, you know, try and get out of opportunities that were exciting, um, would want to only travel to places on holidays that I didn't have to fly to. Um, Then I had my first child and there was just this one little blip there where – Oh, sorry. Before that, we, I got married and, um, for our honeymoon, I was trying to think of a way to go overseas without flying, how how I could get Mm. somewhere without flying. And I researched my honeymoon for months and months because I wanted somewhere that I knew I was taking the safest airline, the safest flight. You know, I had to, if I, if it looked like I wasn't going to get a plane I wanted, I would note we're not going to do that one. Um, and we finally booked a honeymoon to Phuket, Thailand and then the great irony was that three days before our honeymoon, a tsunami wiped out our resort in Phuket. So we didn't actually take that flight overseas. Um, it was going to be my first ever flight overseas, and I didn't get to take it because of the tsunami. Oh, my
0: goodness. So um,
1: I got to – I know. So I got to put a – You must have
0: thought. Trying. So let's just pause for a moment. So we, so we yes. got your first trigger, which is September 11th, September 12th <laughs> to you. Uh, That's a massive moment. And then you've also got this thing where you've done all this prep I mean, I'm not laughing because it's, it's very tragic, no, no. but just the fact that you've done all this prep and then all of that's just gone out the window because of some other things completely out of your control. This is going to be well, a great it's story. Because I
1: was... <laughs> well, it's because I was trying to control it. You know, it was that mm. sense of as long as I control, I control. You know, I felt that, you know, I've made the safest trip I can do. And then the one thing you would never predict in no. 100 years is a tsunami so terrible. So that for me was actually quite a wake up call, which probably caused the next little blip, um, of not being afraid of flying, which wasn't very long lasting, but it was almost that sense of, you know, I couldn't control that. I like a wake up yeah. call. Yeah. Um, so then I had my first child in short order. And when he was only, um, a little baby, my whole family decided to go to Europe and had this big, massive family trip together. It was my parents, my younger siblings, everyone was going. And it was just something about that, you know, I was still in that crazy head mode of a new mother and I was sleep deprived. And I just, it was almost like I forced myself to think, well, what would I feel like sitting here at home with everyone overseas without me? And mm. I, I just this, book that I can do it. And because I was so focused on my baby, it was he was my first, so it was all so overwhelming. It was like I was able to focus on him enough to get through it. So um, we went over to um, Italy and France and we had a three-week trip overseas and I didn't feel afraid on the flight. I was so focused on, you know, his ears not hurting and him not screaming the plane down, which yeah, he did yeah. scream the plane, not quite literally down. Um, so, you know, I, I was able to get through that as a mother, focusing on being a mother, and then that was it. After that, mm. I just I, the let the you know, because I wasn't flying frequently as a as a mum with lots of babies coming in quick succession, I just didn't fly. So then I became more afraid. When I had to fly, I would white knuckle my way through it. I'm not someone who would have like an outward panic attack because I'm quite. Mm. I will hide my fear no matter what. And yeah, I'm quite yeah. good at looking very steely and and in control. But I would just, I would think as we were taking off, this is it. I would have my little rituals where I would wear my safe necklace that got me through pregnancies and births. I would be um, saying a ritual, little mantra in my head. I would even have like a little piece of white chocolate and I had to have a piece of white chocolate. So the last thing I tasted on earth was something nice. Like it was very, wow. it was, you know, it was quite, it what, it was
0: so tell- oh my, my goodness! I mean, this is great. Okay, so I mean, obviously, I'm glad that you're rid of all that stuff now. I'm assuming you are. But what was your little mantra, then, if you don't mind?
1: Oh no, this- not at all. Um, so as as we would be screaming down the runway, I would be saying, "Dear God, go with us." And it was this idea
0: that as we were screaming down, that so. This is the aircraft, yeah. or you?
1: No, <laughs> this is the aircraft and me. No, no, I was screaming in my head though. <laughs>
0: Just thought it was an interesting choice of word, you know.
1: <laughs> well, you know, it's always that feeling of power that as a child enchanted me, as an mm. adult, made me feel powerless, that I was yes. just hostage yeah. in this thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, but so I had lots of little things that I had to do. And it was this idea that if I didn't, you know, pray for the rest of the flight, that we might not get up. You know, it was my job to make sure that we were all wow. safe and that we had a higher power going with us. And mm. yeah. Um, Gosh, so that's it, was exhausting. Quite an, it was, yeah. But, again, from that, um, you know, I'm still a mother sitting there with young children, and from the outside it looked like I was in control. I really, really was very steely about not trying to let my children know that I was afraid. Um, but, you know, my I children, I my little boy had a plane to prepare him for a little toy plane, and he'd play crashing the plane and things like this. And then Helpful. I'd start thinking, oh, no, he knows something, you know. <laughs> So it was very much a head game, oh, you know, it, uh, yeah. intrusive thoughts, um, lots of intrusive thoughts and imagery of terrible things. And then there just something would happen to come up in the news. And so, of course, I'd go down the rabbit hole and I'd read every terrible thing and I'd picture myself in that scenario and, you know, and how yeah. awful that was going to be. And And a lot of it was guilt that I was taking my children on a flight with me. And I thought, well, if something happens, I've taken them on this flight. So... Um, yeah, pretty much tried to avoid it. If I could fly less than once a year, I would. Um, I did things like heavily pregnant with a child, drove for two days straight. You know, I was over 30 weeks pregnant and we drove down to a wedding because I would rather do that than be on a plane, even though mm-hmm. the doctor cleared me by. Yeah. But yeah. I would do anything to avoid it. So um this continued on, you know, right through and the, just the idea of going overseas was it was really inconceivable. I thought if mm-hmm. I and I also dreaded the idea that something might come up one day that would force me to have to do it against my will. So and I was lucky that I didn't know anyone really overseas that would force me to go overseas. Um and then so as I got entered the late 30s and my book was coming really close to achieving that dream of being published, all of a sudden it started to occur to me well, if I get published and if I'm not, if I'm actually published by like a, not a self-published, not self-published, a publisher in Australia or overseas, they might want to meet me and I might have to go on like a book Uh-oh. tour. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so there's one side <laughs> of my head that's thinking, you know, here's my dream. Ever since I was five years old, I want to be a published mm. writer. I want to go and share it with the world. And there's that side of me, and then there's the other side thinking, but would they put me on a boat? Like how how would I get overseas or how would I get all the way down to Sydney, you know? Would, and then I, it was, do I have to leave my family to do that? Because I don't want to leave my family because something might happen to me on the plane and then I've got to – anyway, so these things were, you know, this duality there. It's quite um, a sort of elaborate
0: lift. process going on. It's
1: It is, Yeah. So then um, 2020 came along and my book was actually, I was given a two book deal at the start of 2020 just as um, um, the world was going into lockdown. Mm. So obviously um, then I had a year before the book was going to be on shelves, but you know, so I've got this two book deal. I'm becoming a published debut author and and then i didn't have to go on a book tour i didn't have to go anywhere i couldn't fly to meet my agent i couldn't fly to meet my publisher i just couldn't go anywhere so everything was luckily like this on zoom um youtube and skype and you know i didn't have to leave the comfort of my home um which was also annoying with teenagers here but um i didn't have to go anywhere so you know i got to kind of avoid that for a couple of years and then once everything started opening up again by then i had my second book out in the world and um, I'm published by Bonnie Books UK. So the book came out in the UK about six months later each time. And I thought I would love to meet my UK publisher. Never going to happen. And then mm. I actually got COVID last year in Easter time last year. And my second book had come out. I got COVID really badly. I was very sick, not hospitalized or anything. But mm. I, for me, a healthy fit person just got so sick um, and could not leave my couch for three weeks. I hit rock oh. bottom with... With anxiety, like I just, my mental health felt like it bottomed out. I um h- had some other health stuff that went on that just felt like, you know, I'm, I am I just felt like I'd hit rock bottom. And then mm-hmm. I thought to come out of this, I'm going to do my usual things of running and getting myself back to health again. But I thought, what can I do to challenge myself? And I decided I'm going to go and meet my UK publisher. And I didn't know how I was going to do that at that present time because my anxiety was just so high. Like I did yeah. rock bottom yeah. And I thought, okay, what can I do? And then just through some little odd magic, Lovefly came up in a social media post. Someone had spoken about it. So I thought, okay, what's this love fly? And I went and looked on podcasts and I found your podcast and I just picked one at random and started listening to it. I can't even tell you which one it was. It was someone sharing their story. And I just, then I binged on them and I would listen <laughs> to them all the time. And at first just listening to it at then this kind of sense of, whoa, you know, these yes. people are as strange as me. But then the more I listened to it, it was like, these people are as brave as me. Like they wanted to overcome their fear. Mm. Then I binged and binged and I set myself then an actual program. And I said, well, I'm going overseas. We then went ahead and booked our tickets. We let the publisher know I was coming and we got the um, sort of, you know, the book tour details, everything underway. And I then just set it as a program. And I would listen to the podcast when I was running, when I was driving, when I was cooking, when I was trying to avoid my children, just all the time (laughs) to the point where I almost, I think I've said it to you. I felt like it was hypnotizing because when the music would start, my whole body would just like like breathe out and soften. I would get this like ebullient feeling of, just mm. like soaring, like a joyful feeling. So that in itself, the music of your podcast alone became like a like a trigger for that feeling of weightless, like lifting and sinking in. Um mm. so yeah, just really listen to everyone. Would go back and re listen to some when I there wasn't a latest one. Um if you were too slow to put them out.
0: <laughs> all right. All right. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, no, I'd go back and listen to them. I listened to your podcast. Um, that was probably not your podcast, the audio book. That was probably my favourite. Um, and during that time, I'd actually had to go down for a writers' festival to a town about four hours away. And I had been offered by my publisher to be flown down, but that was early in the piece before I'd done all the work. And I declined. I said, well, I'll just drive. It's only four hours. I'll just drive down there. Um because I didn't feel ready. And the yeah. whole time I was driving down there, listening to all the podcasts and particularly to the audiobook, I felt just kicking myself the whole time. I thought this is more dangerous. My hands had sweat on the wheel. And I think this is far more dangerous driving in this car right now. Massive mm-hmm. trucks going past, you know, yeah. I'm doing this willingly and I could have been flying. So, wow. yeah, that was then the moment. That, was, went that non- was a
0: moment, wasn't it? That was a moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. Um, and then, so September last year, um, the time finally came, and um, we boarded a flight here in Cairns. We had to do uh, three separate flights, so we flew from Cairns to Sydney, which was two hours or three hours, and then we went from Sydney to um, Singapore, and then mm-hmm. Singapore to London. Mm. So um, the the first flight, I was like I had been prepping for. Um, I don't even know. It was like a race, like I'd prepped for a race and I was, you know, I had everything from my favourite podcast lined up to my notes written. I knew the way to do my breathing. I had it all in my mind, like a game plan. And um, that first one, I just, I had it like this. And as it turned out, my little boy who is eight, um, he all of a sudden had expressed in the months before that this fear of heights it just came out mm. of nowhere and he was really frightened as we took off and so I just snapped into this like I was his personal coach and I was explaining wow. to him what the steps were and what and when that feeling comes when you take off which used to be my worst moment I always felt like the plane was just getting over this mountain it's about to fall back mm. and you know learning through love flight what that was has been amazing for me because I don't fear that now and it was mm. I used to dread that moment more than so, I was able to say to him that's what it was and what the sounds were of the wheels, just all of those things. So, oh, wow. in a way, that was godsend because I could talk him through yeah. that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, and then, uh, yeah, it was probably, um, well, it's 15,000 kilometers or something. It was, you know, a full day of flying by the time we got to London. Um, but at no point did I feel afraid. And when we took off from London, we we're actually <laughs> in an A380. Um, and oh, that lovely. plane lived around. Is, beautiful it feels like you're like you're just soaring up it's beautiful couldn't feel a thing and the sense of yeah ebulence really it was it was amazing so to have dreaded something for so many years and then to finally be landing in london be in you know somewhere i'd wanted to visit since i was Mm. young and yeah
0: so that must have been amazing just amazing but you know let's just sort of pause for a moment you've you've put the work in you know, so yeah. you've you've gone through this podcast. You've 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 done the time. So you've been retraining yeah. yourself, haven't you? So you take full credit for that. I'm, I'm curious which episodes were, were your. You know, like I know different people have different favorite ones, but for you, what were your sort of personal favorites?
1: I always love listening to um, pilots and stuff. My favorites were always when you get that really logical expertise, because Mm. I think that it's, there's some part of the brain that like lights up when you get rational, logical answers. And I had done, I was diagnosed with um, postnatal anxiety um, after the birth of my third child. And I did a lot of cognitive behavioral therapy. So, you know, that, logical, thinking critically about your thoughts um, was really important to me. And that's how I got through those periods of my life. So to get facts, to be, to have explained to you, this is what this is. Mm. Um, This is what we do. This is, you know, those were things I had no idea about. I really was the least educated person about flying, you know? And so when you don't know a lot about flying, then you think it's some kind of magical process or that it's like a fluke. The plane gets up in the air. As opposed to it's this feat of science and engineering that is it's so um it's so routine for a start but it's just so expertly trained people at the helm rather than me needing yeah. to hope they that day to you know take yeah. safety precautions so they were my and also the audiobook I really you know that your your voice was so soothing and it's just so perfect pacing I rush a lot when I talk. <laughs> And um, I tend to listen to things on a fast speed, but that's one thing I would just listen to at, you know, the proper pacing and it was very soothing and, yeah, my brain like wow. with all the f- I love it, yeah.
0: Wow. That's, uh, that's a little bit overwhelming, but thank you. <laughs> I, I really hated doing the audio. I've, when I did the audio, because the original plan was I was just going to do an audio book. I wasn't going to write it up. And then I, I thought, well, I, better, I suppose i better write it up as well. And mm-hmm. and then I thought I was going to ask a friend to read it out. But then I thought, well, I've, I've been talking about this for years, so I'll, I'll do it. But it was cringe, and I couldn't bear to listen back to it. So I'm glad it, oh. <laughs> it sounded right. Yeah, I don't, oh, if you ever listen to yourself, I don't. No, I try, I try I not to.
1: In- Yeah, I do a lot of interviews and I can't watch myself back, or I, I can give it six months and then watch it back. So I don't yeah. think either of us will watch this back.
0: <laughs> no, well, I've, well, the great thing about the video is when this goes onto YouTube, uh, yeah. I, don't have to, I can't edit this. It's just as it is. When it comes to the audio yeah. side, then I listen to it very differently. So I will probably just. But yes. you're a very clear speaker. I, I don't think there's anything I will need to edit. So the only bit I ever edit is just like if people there's a massive gap, but there's been none of that. It's been really, really good. So, so the the, the episodes you like the ones with the pilots. It sounds like in the crew, those yeah. sort of the logical stuff. Yeah. Okay, yes. that makes sense. And just, yeah. yeah,
1: and yeah, I mean, on. I I I couldn't really pick a favorite episode because I loved all of them. I I liked having you know the ones where you would listen to someone's success story because you get to hear their fears to begin with and you get to hear, you see the evolution. And even I remember one of the ones I listened to last year coming home from Townsville, and I can't remember um, your guest, I'm afraid, but she was speaking before she'd overcome her fear. And that actually I found that very powerful to hear someone still in that stage where they hadn't taken the flight Mm. and they didn't know if they could overcome it. Um, That Even that was really powerful. It's, you know, it's like when you go to, some kind of group therapy I suppose but we never meet each other and you can hear each other's thoughts and feelings just to know that you're not alone um in Mm. the way that you think about things um but yeah I, I always loved hearing you know things like I was always afraid um I guess a lot of it for me was once you get on that plane you know you can't you can't get off again that that's it I'm trapped in this decision and a lot of it for me was that idea that I've got to commit to it and that I won't be able to backtrack so I always knew that I would not be someone who would be able to run off a flight um that's just my nature that even if I thought it was a doomed flight sorry for trigger you know trigger warning there but if I thought it was a doomed flight in myself because of the state of mind I would still not take myself off it um And that, you know, so I knew that once I'm on there, that's it, I'm on, I'm not going to ever take myself off. And so it's, you know, hearing that a plane, if there's a medical event, for example, well, actually a plane will divert for that. You know, it's it's it was ignorance in my, my point of view. I thought, well, once you're on there, that's it, that, you know, that flight goes up and it doesn't come down. And if something bad happens, that's it. And, you know, it's just even learning that, that they, they know at all times. Where that they can divert to in the case of a medical emergency. So just things yeah. that once you know them, it, it helps immensely. I find.
0: Yeah, that's good. I'm. Yeah, I think a lot of it is you do feel this this sort of sense of this is just a thing I'm locked into, but actually the fact that everyone's, you know, we've all got when we're flying, we've all we're all on the same aircraft, so we, you know, we've all got the same. Oh, we want to take off and land safely. And, you know, so and it's just yes. having that sort of think, thinking about that. So I'm interested. Yes. What happened to the white chocolate? Did the white chocolate <laughs> make it? Did it make an appearance or has that, that been put away now?
1: No, no, I don't do the white chocolate anymore. <laughs> no. So those are kind of morbid <laughs> thoughts that I would have. Thankfully, I don't have those anymore. I no longer think of it as this is my final night's sleep before I go on the plane and this is my mm. final walk to. I, I was very, um, I really put a lot of work into sustaining those. Yeah, you're very you know, good. Really. Yeah. Yeah, those negative thoughts. I always say I put my imagination to good, not evil when I write because I have a really vivid imagination. And so Mm. sometimes I think it's just that capacity to really put yourself in a situation. You know, if someone watches a movie where it might be a plane, something happens, they can just watch it, enjoy the excitement of it or the thrill and then turn it off and forget it. Whereas for me, I'll just dwell on that. You know, I've got to imagine every scenario. So for me, not torturing myself anymore with that kind of stuff. I know what news articles to avoid. I know what movies not to watch because, you know, there's all of that. It's actually, it's just tapping into that part of the human psyche that loves that, you know, the submarine on the bottom of the ocean near the Titanic. We, you know, it captures the human imagination and mm. I know what sells and so I know to avoid that now. So, and I don't do it to myself. I don't sit there and, and go through these terrible scenarios in my head anymore.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting. I think I, I, I've really enjoyed the sort of the journey that you've taken us on here, and I and I love that moment where so you've done all the work. It's amazing. You had all these rituals that kept you safe. Uh, you yeah. you recognize your trigger point, but you also recognize when you were done. So that journey, that four hour journey, where you're thinking I should have been flying. And that these mm-hmm. are all inter- These are the great pivotal points. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. And-, and also
1: my son, my 17 year old son started, I've um, got his L plates this last year. And all of a sudden I'm sitting in a car with a learner driver beside me and it's my baby and he's driving me and I'm looking at every other person on the road that could be a risk to us. And, you know, it's that concept that you, you have a teenager drive you around in a car and you still wouldn't be as fearful of that as being flown by an expert who's you know Mm -hmm. top of their field so it's those kind of little moments I've been able to have that have really helped me it's like a growing up I suppose (laughs) in my early 40s being able to think to myself well you know this fear came upon me when I'd left home and I was just branching out into the world and I'm so thankful I was able to overcome the fear when I was you know, literally branching out into the world as a published author. You know, it felt like growing up and growing out mm. of irrational thinking, I suppose. And I couldn't do that if I didn't have the education that you were able to give us. So it's, you know, it's understanding those processes behind the scenes and also understanding how common it is and that, you know, people on that plane know how to deal with someone who's afraid of flying too.
0: Yeah. Oh, no, you, you're you're like the best alpha ever. <laughs> so. <laughs> So on that note then, if you were to say, right, okay, from having listened to all the podcasts and done your own process and you've done a lot of work yourself, what advice or tips would you give to somebody else who's listening? Go, yeah, yeah, it's okay for you. Maybe somebody like yourself listening at the beginning of their journey of beating the fear. You know, what what's your collective wisdom?
1: <laughs> um, so i so i do a lot of running um and i've trained for half marathons before and actually i've got one coming up next weekend and one of the things i'm trying to always tell myself is trust your training so it's and it's it's like trust your body trust your training and so i guess If First of all, you have to be willing to do the work. You can't just hope that if you've always Mm. been afraid of flying all your life and you don't do anything to change those thinking patterns, that you can just jump on a flight and not be afraid. I mean, maybe you could, and certainly I've white-knuckled my way through flights, but I know how awful that felt. So I would say to do the work first of all and just listening to the podcast, almost like absorbing it like a sponge for me, um, then I could trust that that was there and I would be Mm. able to have come back to me in my head and i would hear a noise and then i would be able to relate that to the corresponding podcast or information that i had learned so i would say to trust your training um in that you know when you when you're preparing to take that flight it's to trust that you have um trust what you've learned and what you've hopefully applied just with things like breathing challenging thinking patterns so you know, if you're always going around being mean to yourself inside and saying these things like, I can never fly and it's too scary and, you know, I'm going to make a scene, I'm going to embarrass my family. If you're saying all those mean things to yourself, um, you're just beating yourself up, you know, and you only yeah. make yourself feel more afraid. It's really mean the way we are to ourselves, you know. So I would say to to trust the work you've done. Obviously, you have to do the work, but then to trust it. Trust that you know how to tether yourself to your breath. So when I was on a flight, you know, and I – the I'd go back in my seat as we're taking off and you feel that power and you're going, you're not screaming down the runway, you're going <laughs> fast down the runway. <laughs> um, and, you know, I would be listening to every sound of the plane, every motion. I, so my thoughts were not inside my me. They're all like I'm trying to take care of the plane and I'm trying to monitor all the sounds and I'm waiting mm. for that terrible sound that's going to come. I don't know what it is. I just know I'm monitoring the plane for it. Thank, and thank so goodness than that, you were
0: there. Crikey. <laughs>
1: but like I'm able now to say, you no, know, come back to yourself. And so I can come back to my breathing. And so that was a big one for me was the tethering to the breath. And it's just returning to inside yourself because in actual fact, if you come back into that mindfulness and you're inside your, your own breathing, you're not trying to fly the plane. You're not, you know, you might still have those white knuckles on the thing, but you're not focusing on the, the this sort of existential terror, you know, you're, you're back inside your breath. So, That's a big one, I would say, is getting that breathing down pat. So Mm -hmm. because it's always, you know, that very next breath you take can be the one that is tethering you. So that your your first step towards feeling less afraid can be one breath away, really, if you can start getting into the habit of calming yourself. Um, I do a lot of public speaking as well, and it's when you step up there, you know, everyone feels nervous no matter how many times you do it, but it's that trusting that. I know how to do this, I've got this, and it's going to come. So you obviously have to practice the public speaking, but when you stand there, you you can't kind of white-knuckle it and think, oh, my goodness, like, is this speech going to happen okay? You have to actually give the speech. And so you have, to, you have to step into it for a start. And I think committing to something is a really big step, committing to something that you've always dreamed of. Um, obviously, that kind of momentum is massive. If there's something, you know, it's that wedding that you don't want to have to drive a day to or you don't want to miss or you know mm. you might have someone who's getting towards the end of their life and you don't want to miss their funeral so it's that yeah. committing to i want to be well in time for these things you know i want to be able to fly for those things
0: so it's a so it sounds like when I mean, you i love all those little phrases tether to the breath trust your training that's great stuff that is and the other thing was that you have the big the big purpose, the big reason why you're doing it. There was another thing that you said, which I, I, I totally agree with was about, and I often see this in the group actually, is that people will come on and say, oh, I'm really, really scared, blah, blah, blah. And that's fine. That's that's what, that's the purpose of the group. And, and then, but they've got to do the work, haven't you? You've, you've got to put the whatever time it is and you've got to in, immerse yourself in it. You've got to commit to it. It's the words you said. Cause it's so easy to, I mean, I can listen to a podcast and do nothing with it. You know, it's like uh, I'm doing this uh, German one at the moment and, uh, and it'd be so easy to think that I'm improving my German just by listening, but unless I actually speak and practice and do something with it, it's, it's, I think I'm improving, but I'm not really. So what you're talking about is, is actually committing, doing the stuff. And then seeing it through, and so the result. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. So, so would you? How would you consider yourself now, like in terms of if you say before you, you know, out of ten, being a nervous flyer, I assume you know, ten out of ten. What what sort of score would you give yourself now as a nervous flyer? Um. I
1: mean, I. I wouldn't say that I'm afraid of flying anymore. I'm excited about the next trip I can take. I think that I will always have that kind of, I call it like my excited tummy. Like I get very, um, it's like, it feels like fear, but I now know it's excitement. Mm. It's this kind of double-edged yeah, sword. Yeah. And I think maybe I'd say like a two only because you know, I would always be someone who would react more quickly to a strange sound or something but I would say that I'm excited I wish that I had the funds and the time off to be able to fly all over the world I feel like now the world has opened up to me um and that's a gift that you and your podcast have given me that I can't even tell you how much that means to me because now I feel like yeah, the world's opened up to me. So, and also the support from everyone in the group, it cannot be overstated. You know, I had people who were tracking my flights for me. Um, and, you know, I didn't know really how I was going to go. I was going to trust my training, but I mm. didn't know how I was going to go flying so many hours, like a whole day of flying and having people there tracking the flights from all over the world. That was really, that's something that's really special that people do for one another once they kind of, you know, get to know each other. Um, Little things like the um, flight radar as well. I just wanted to mention that because I did not know that app existed. And now, you know, being able to flip that open and see so many flights going, little tips and tricks from the group like that has been massive as well so mm. you yeah, know i would say i'm i'm an excited flyer now nervous sighted is the word that my kids use <laughs> where you kind of feel a bit nervous because you're excited
0: <laughs> so. nervous sighted that's a new word now yeah, oh, yeah. nervous sighted you heard it here first yeah i think it's it is important to recognize that these feelings are very similar uh the fact that you gave yourself a two out of ten is reasonable you know because it's Because I say this flying, it's not one hundred percent safe. It's not far off, but nothing's one hundred percent safe. So it's about being like, what's within my control? What can I do about that? So I'm off to I'm doing a flight this week. I'm off to Egypt for a week. So I can't wait. I haven't been on, you know, I haven't done a holiday for for a few years now, since for obvious reasons. And Mm -hmm. I'm aware that I'm a little bit anxious about different bits, but none of it is the flight. The flight is the least. Getting to the airport, getting parked, making sure that we get at the other end, there's a car waiting for us that we've booked, you know, and we're finding the accommodation. Will Google Maps work? And all that sort of stuff. You know, what visas do I need? And You know, that's the stuff that is normal to worry about. But everything else, fantastic. You know, the the holidays start from the airport.
1: yeah. And I'm a 10 when it comes to missing the flight
0: though, <laughs> yeah. because
1: we had running through the airport moments, you know, when my husband bumped into someone from some TV show that my teenagers know, and they went, you just run into some famous actor. And we had no idea who he was, but you know, that running through the airport, we had that a couple of times and we put so much prep work into it. So I feel that flying is very, you know, that plane is going to leave and it's got, it's the yeah. time and it's quite, that naturally makes you feel anxious. So, mm. um, and the baggage situation, will my baggage get lost will it come off the carousel there's a lot of things that you can't control you can't control so much of it but yeah that sense that my holiday might go wrong that will always tend to make you feel nervy
0: yeah and that's and these are all reasonable normal things yeah so you definitely sound like an ex nervous flyer amazing absolutely amazing
1: (laughs) (laughs) but i do think that i have to keep working at it i think if i didn't fly if i didn't take some amazing holiday once a year I think that I might get nervous again. So I'm going to have to take an, a, oh. an amazing day every oh. year.
0: Okay. Well, you know, that some of us just have to make those sacrifices, don't we? And it sounds like, you know. I'm
1: willing to. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. And, and maybe some li- little practice flights in between in the year as well, you know, up and down Australia, mm-hmm. perhaps, you know, to just keep yourself topped up. Because I think it's, you think about it, we don't do something very often. It, it is unfamiliar. We get that sensory overload, don't we? It's so like even if I yeah. if I've been working from home for a couple of days and I go into town, it's like a whoosh of a, I get a whoosh of adrenaline. It's like, oh my goodness, there's people, there's cars coming at me. And I think was it you know, so it's very easy to, to, to end up inoculated to the world, isn't it? And so when we don't fly very often, it's an overwhelming yes. sensory. Yeah. I- so I think it's important to keep familiarising ourselves. I think you're right, you've got to keep doing the stuff, haven't you? hmm yeah. Well, very good. Thank you very much. And uh, What a lovely story that was. And uh, so grateful yes. for you coming on and sharing it. You're now part of that now. You're going to be helping somebody else. There'll be a little phrase that you say that you've said today that will someone else was going to use that because you just don't know what it is that you do that helps others. But you, you've you've done that now. So thank you for sharing the story. I'm very grateful for that and on behalf of the uh, community. <laughs> yeah, thank you.
1: I did try to bring back clapping on planes myself (laughs) single-handedly, but it didn't didn't take that Who's the
0: weirdo over (laughs) there clapping? Hello.
1: (laughs) I was mostly clapping for myself. I was just clapping and no one clapped, so that's okay. uh,
0: Yeah, you're referring to one of those early podcasts, but I remember remember thinking, when did that stop then? When did we become so like, yeah, yeah, so it's just, you know, they've landed, so what? But it used to be a big deal. People were like, really? we're alive maybe it's just relief we're alive
1: (laughs) yeah Well, it was (laughs) almost like a job well done i'm old enough as well to remember clapping at the end of flights you know it was you would dress up in your best clothes and you'd clap when the plane landed and it was like this sense of wow look at this amazing thing you just did yeah um so
0: but now we're like yeah whatever i can do that on my (laughs) microsoft flight simulator no big deal it's still a big deal pilots keep doing what you do so thank you Avril. that was absolutely Amazing. Some lovely little comments there and some tips and stuff. And uh, yeah, thank you for your time. Really grateful. Thank you listen to the lovefly podcast i hope you found it useful now as always if you need any extra help please join our lovefly facebook group you can also follow us on instagram at LoveFlyHelp, help and also if you go to our website which is lovefly.co.uk forward slash shop you can see other ways that you can get some help thanks for listening